it's with joy and gratitude that we're here tonight, Father. So grateful and so joyful to be a part of your work here in this city. Truly, it's been year after year of your strengthening of our church. And we sense that and we know that. Help us now, God, as we enter um, into the next section of our celebration to have a sense together of where you are leading us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So my task tonight is to identify who we are as a church and to try and articulate where we've come from where we are and where we're heading. And then at the end, I'm going to invite you to renew your commitment to this congregation as your church in this city. And for some of you, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and cross the line into committing yourself to this congregation being your church in this city. So first of all, who are we? What is this thing called the Church of the Incarnation. Well, we are a gospel-centered Anglican church serving the downtown of Harrisonburg, Virginia. You could call that our identity. A gospel-centered Anglican church serving the downtown of Harrisonburg. And what do we want to do? It's this. We seek the glory of God and the good of this city. Jeremiah 29, verse 7, seek the shalom, the flourishing, the good of the city where I have sent you, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its shalom you shall find shalom. You could call this our vision. Our vision as a church is that we seek God's renewal of ourselves, our families, our neighborhoods, our city. We seek the glory of God and the flourishing of this place We're so blessed to live. Now, how are we going to do this? How are we going to seek God's glory and the good of this place? Some people call this our mission. We will pursue our vision, the glory of God and the good of the city, by being a healthy church, deeply rooted in this neighborhood, that plants other churches deeply rooted in neighborhoods throughout Harrisonburg and throughout the valley. This idea of being healthy Being a healthy church, this is central to our mission. If we're going to bring glory to God, and if we're going to bring good to this city, then we have to be healthy. Now, if you've gone through essentials, if you're a member, you'll know that we work for the health of the church by promising each other and promising God five things. We promise each other, we promise God faith, Mission, community, discipline, and stewardship. That's what our membership affirmation lays out, those five things. And every year we erase our roles so that we as an entire church can avoid institutional drift, theological drift, relational drift, so that every year we're driven in a very concrete way back to these five promises. Every year the members, old and new, promise one another. And we promise God faith, 
faith in the risen Jesus Christ expressed corporately and publicly every Sunday in our worship together. Every year we promise ourselves and we promise God that we will do mission. We promise to work for the good of our city, for the flourishing of our city by seeking justice and seeing others coming to know the Lord Christ. We promise also life together as disciples of King Jesus. And we promise discipline. We promise intentional commitments to growth in ministry together. And finally, we promise stewardship. We promise God and we promise each other the generous gift of our time, our talents, and our treasures. That's who we are. That's the engine that drives the church of the incarnation. A group of people committed to these things. Now, let's take a look at where we've come from. In the fall of 2009, a group of people who had suffered very deeply together began to talk about the hope of a new church in Harrisonburg, an Anglican church that was committed to the Christian faith and committed to simplicity and committed to relationships and committed to hospitality. So I'd like this group to stand up. This is the Cooks, Aaron and Paula, and their children, if you guys will stand. And the Coods, Michelle and your daughters. And the Goods, Ed and Esther. Where are they? Where are they? They are standing, I promise, right here. (laughs) No, no, no. Fran, can you join them? Here is Fran, right back here. And Melanie, who just got married, her heart's deepest desire. And one other family that moved within our first year to Boston. Now, this group of people, oh, and the Ditos, the Didots, I skipped right over you. You guys, and Luther and Eva, who are here too. Where are they? They were somewhere. Where are they? Here they are back here, Luther and Eva. Y'all all remain standing for just a moment. This group continued to talk and dream and hope throughout the winter and into the spring and summer of 2010. We are so grateful for what you guys did. Thank you very much. You you can have a seat. Now, on Sunday afternoon, August the the 22nd, 2010, those 11 adults and their eight children asked Janelle and me and our children to move to Harrisonburg to join with them and to plant the Church of the Incarnation. And I was looking through all our old files, and I found the letter they wrote us. Let me read this to you. Dear Aubrey and Janelle, we write on behalf of the yet unnamed Harrisonburg group that has been traveling together for some time now, bound together as a community of believers called by God on a mission to make disciples of Jesus in Harrisonburg, seeking God's guidance with regard to our next step together and praying for the right man to step forward to lead us. With the overwhelming support of the entire core group, I'm not sure Fran was convinced a Baptist could become an Anglican, but... We write to make it known that we intend to call you to join us in Harrisonburg as we follow Jesus together. We stand amazed at the timing of our meeting you, Aubrey and Janelle, and the clarity God has given our group regarding whether we would invite you to lead us in the next phase of this journey. Please understand, we aren't clear yet on all the next steps, but we will continue to trust God to provide, pledging to do everything in our power to make your move easy and your family's transition to the valley smooth. We are very thankful for the important role played in this point to this point by our mutual friend Dan Clare, along with the Church of the Resurrection and the Anglican Mission. We will continue to look to them for encouragement, wisdom, 
and guidance as we walk forward together for, for the Harrisonburg mission. And then there's a, a series of loops that some would call Aaron Cook's signature, followed by a much more artistic, precise Ernie Dito signature. So we packed up our house in Birmingham, and on Friday, October the 1st, we set out on the road. We were supposed to arrive that evening, but our U-Haul broke down within eight miles of driving out of our house. And um, they, they jacked up this, you know, this huge, like, huge U-Haul, like 20-something. They jacked it up on a um, tow truck, which I thought of all that stuff sliding, right? So we got here late on Saturday On Sunday, October the 3rd, we were supposed to have our first worship service as a church, but those of you who read the Old Testament, the ox was in the ditch. So the group group showed up to work, and on Sunday morning, they helped us unload and move into our house. And then the very next Sunday, we began meeting for worship in our living room, and we continued that every Sunday morning to this day. We would worship our great Lord Jesus Christ, and then in those days, we would eat a potluck together. Now we eat coffee and bagels. Some people eat just as much as they ate then, just as a bagel instead of... Now, now the reason I tell this story is, is not to, not to um, make celebrities out of those at the beginning, but I want to point out five things about our church from the beginning. Number one, it has been a church committed to the gospel. From the beginning, our church has committed itself to faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, expressed publicly and corporately every Sunday in worship. And like Paul, like we've seen from him throughout the last several months in the book of Acts, from the beginning, our church has been committed to bearing public witness to our faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Second, from the beginning, we have met in homes. Hospitality has been in the DNA. People in our church have continually opened the doors of their homes to one another and to outsiders. This Thanksgiving, this Christmas, all through our church, there will be people that have other people at their tables that they're not related to. Psalm 68 verse 6 says, God sets the lonely in families. In the ESV, God settles the solitary in a home. Number three, service. From the beginning, our church has been committed to serving one another and to serving those around us who are in need. Number four, faith. That group of 11 adults and eight children, when they asked my family of seven to move here, they had $15,400 in the bank and a total monthly committed tithe of $3,950. This adds up to $62,800 for the first year and our, our budget for the first year was $160,000. We only knew where 62000 of it was coming from. Back in those days, the parish council met every week. It was Aaron Cook and Ernie Dito and Ed Good and myself. And every week, Ed would say something like, Paula, <laughs> we've got enough money to make it two months. And Aaron would say, Aubrey, we promise you a salary. But you know what promises are like, right? Or six weeks of money left, or two weeks of money left. But for that group, this was the key. They understood that faith, that risk, is often the precondition of faith. And this has played out time and time again in our church. When we purchased this building, it was the old Parts Incorporated building, we purchased it for $300,000. 
which was a mortgage for 20 years. We immediately undertook a renovation project of $360,000, which was due when the project was done. And this was with a group of 100 people. And of those, 50 were college students and under. And of the 50 that remained, most of them were married. And so there was like 30 jobs in the whole church. But again, the church displayed an incredible toleration for risk together. Healthy churches are willing to tolerate risk together. They find moments where they lay it all on the line with no backup. Number five, from the beginning, our church has been committed to learning. This church started with smart, passionate people who were learners. We were all looking for an environment in which we could learn and practice faith and mission together. Incarnation has always been a church committed to the gospel, to hospitality, to service, to learning, to risk-taking, crawl out on a limb with no backup kind of faith. And the Lord has been so good, so good to us. But he's not only been good, he's been surprising. Wendell Berry once wrote, God is the wildest thing in creation. C.S. Lewis said, God is the hunter, the warrior, the king who approaches at infinite speed totally out of our control. One of the ways that God has surprised us is with college students. God has sent more college students to us than we ever anticipated. This has been such a good surprise. In addition, the Lord has sent us more folks with deep roots in other Christian traditions than we ever expected. Mennonites who are Mennonite to the core of their being for generations, and Presbyterians and Baptists and Catholics more than we ever thought. And one of the results of these two things, this combination of a large number of college students and many people from different traditions, one of the results is that we've had to focus on the essentials of mere Christianity rather than the theological distinctives peculiar to our denomination. What this means is that we've been given by God a vocation as a church that is, that is something akin to a military chapel where we serve people coming from a wide variety of backgrounds, but all in need of the Lord and community. We've also had another vocation, and that is from the beginning, we've been a church version of something like a teaching hospital. From the beginning, Incarnation is committed to being a church plant that plants churches that plant churches. And so while our first responsibility has been to be a healthy church, we've also been keenly aware that unless we plant other healthy churches, we will cease after this generation generation passes away. So from the beginning, we've been committed to, to investing in a younger generation. In a teaching hospital, patients agree to endure a little more chaos, a little less excellence, a little more poking and prodding by students in exchange for treatment within a cutting-edge learning community. It takes a long time and a lot of practice to become a qualified surgeon, and it takes a long time and a lot of practice to become a qualified pastor's. So we've committed from the beginning as a church to being a place that trains other pastors, but not just pastors, people who will plant churches. This was Ed and Esther Good's third church plant. 
Aaron and Paula, this was their second church plant. God has laid this on their lives. From the beginning, we said, we're going to be a church plant that plants churches. As a church, we have fostered an environment much like a teaching hospital. We've become a place to engage with God and one another, to grow and learn from our mistakes, and all along the way to equip one another so that we can send one another out as ambassadors. And by God's grace, when our church was just one year old, we brought the Konefkis here from Canada, Luke serving as our first pastor in training, and then we had the Whitfields and now the Dildays and the Broughts. But being a teaching hospital isn't just about training pastors. It's more than that. Back in 2015, we sent out 26 people, including several families who had been with us from our second month. And we sent two-thirds of our parish council and our curate, Kevin Whitfield, and his family. And they planted the Church of the Lamb in Elkton. That was in 2015. And then in 2016, we've been working with a group of people from Charlottesville and Crozet to start a church there. And that group, like the group that started Incarnation, they've been doing the same. They've been gathering for monthly worship and monthly service and monthly fun. And we've been praying for them and offering them coaching. And some of them have joined our church to worship with us on Sunday mornings. Randy and Mary Caldehone, if you haven't met them and their daughters, Lily and Charlotte, I encourage you to. And two weeks ago, after many, many months of prayer and more phone calls and more emailing and more time than you can ever imagine, we found their pastor and Blake and Marianne Johnson committed to moving here from Mobile to pastor this church. Their house is up for sale now. They will get here as soon as it sells or January comes first, whichever happens. And why? They are moving with a small group of people just like we had. Why? To plant a healthy gospel church for the glory of God and the good of such a strategic part, place on the map. And we could go on and on, but I'll summarize with this. God has enabled us to do so much in all of this with a tiny staff and a bare bones budget and a relatively small congregation. Who would have thought that such a group of 13 adults and 13 children, a group birthed in so much suffering and weakness... Who would have thought that such a beginning could bear so much fruit? Well, those of us who read the gospel would. Because our Lord himself told us that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. That a man took and sowed in his field. The smallest of all the seeds. But when it's grown, is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. To God be the glory. So I've talked about who we are and from whence we've come. Now let me try to name where we are right now. Over the past couple of years, we've planted the Church of the Lamb in Elkton. We've offered support and coaching and help to a group in Crozet in Charlottesville that is now being planted as a church. We've added multiple small groups. We've started Godly Play for our children, and we've completed a renovation project. Some of you don't know, but the front of our building was a hazard zone. Um, Michelle Kood broke her elbow, the door did, because it slammed on it so hard. Do y'all remember that door, any of you? And through all of this, we're continuing to grow. There are many, many new faces all across the generational spectrum. And our church is so strongly intergenerational. 
We have such a good number of people in all the generations whose lives manifest faithfulness to God. And when we gather for worship on Sunday, don't you know week after week there's a tangible sense that most of the people here want to worship God. And there's joy in our music. So glad the Mennonites have helped us. So glad Ernie married a Mennonite and learned how to sing. And in those early years, set us on the right trajectory. And the amount of missional work done through our church members is astonishing. Work for the good and flourishing of our city and for the relief of the poor. And that brings up your generosity. Not only do we have a very strong giving to our budget, But in addition, this year, we gave more than $23,000 to the Rector's Discretionary Fund, which 100% goes to those with needs, the vulnerable. And on top of that, another $9,000 for the relief of the poor in Sudan through the work of Bishop Bondudu. And this is all on top of something like $40,000 that we earmarked in our budget to give to mission. And remember, we're talking about a budget of $330,000. So up front, we earmarked 12%, and then you gave an additional 10% on top of that, all for mission. This is astonishing. The breadth and depth of your commitment to the kingdom of God and the relief of the poor and the flourishing of our city is so strong. Last year, when we filled out our volunteer forms, we had more than enough volunteers. We had to call people and tell them, I'm so sorry. We don't need you in that area. There's just too many people. The list goes on and on. The college students, the art council. My goodness what the art council is doing. If you haven't been to our offices, God has given us such incredible office space downtown in the old Bank of America building. And this building, it's beauty. It's location. It's functionality. Do you know that week after week after week, it is used by our community The list of strengths and blessings, it keeps going. We have weaknesses. No recent adult converts. Too few small groups. The turnover rate of leadership in our youth ministry has weakened our youth ministry. Our vision is larger than our tithes and offerings. And because the makeup of our congregation, the number of children and college students, we have a much smaller budget than our size of church would often have. And for a church with a vocation of being a teaching hospital, this is a limitation. And another weakness is our debt. We are a few years in on our mortgage. We've paid off our first renovation, but we still owe $100,000 on our second renovation, and we don't see how that's going to all work out. And most obviously, a weakness, a limitation, our building is full on Sunday after Sunday, and we don't yet see clearly what to do with that. So that's a snapshot of who we are. Now, where, where are we headed? Both what can we see clearly and what are we trying to see? We've talked a lot about over the years. Following the will of God is often like following a sign pointing into the fog, right? You can see Massanutten. It's sort of there. But what's in between here and there? You have no clue. I want to point out five areas, some of which we can see clearly and some of which we just have a vague concept of. Number one, in the, in the year and years ahead, we're going to be focusing on catechism for children and youth. You, you can see in the budget that the parish councils propose the church adopt this new budget. We have added a new position to our staff, director of catechesis for children. 
We first mentioned this possibility last year at the annual celebration. And we thought it was going to happen last year, but it's now realized. God has brought us Laura Lowe. She's serving as the parish administrator, but will soon transition to serve as our director of catechesis for children. This is what Laura was made for. She's already led us into beginning the wonderful ministry for three to six-year-olds called Godly Play. And in the year ahead, we hope to extend this ministry into the lives of six to nine-year-olds and to develop further our catechesis of nine to 12-year-olds. In addition to this, Drew Dilde, our curate, has begun working with our parents and youth leaders to identify and implement what kind of serious youth ministry can take place in a church like ours? How can we develop a more strategic and robust and sustainable approach to discipling youth? God has blessed us with so many young people and more on the way, more than we've told you about just yet. (laughs) And in the year ahead, we are investing resources into helping the moms and the dads disciple their children. Mission is a second thing. In the year ahead, we're going to be focusing more on mission. A non-negotiable aspect of the good news is that we must remember the poor. The poor. For Jesus, it's a term in his day which is about more than where you sit on the economic scale. It's about those who do not have the means to help themselves. It's the sick and the lonely, the outcasts, the forgotten, the powerless, the mistreated, the uncool, the excluded. In downtown Harrisonburg, This includes those among us from other countries and the children of refugees and immigrants, many of whom go to Spotswood and Waterman. And another group of people in downtown Harrisonburg who don't have the means to secure their own justice are those sitting in our jail and those who are homeless and our neighbors at Lineweaver. These are the four groups of people in downtown who live with the day-to-day threat of injustice. Part of the job of the church is to protect the weak and vulnerable, to take up their injustice, to bring it to speech, to help people articulate it and when they're ready, turn it into their own prayer. But we can't stop there. We've got to work with the whole local community to foster programs for better housing and schools and community facilities and to encourage new job opportunities and to campaign and cajole and work with the local government and the councils of our city. Why Spotswood Elementary does not have uh, a language immersion program is beyond me. There's like 40 languages at that school. We've got to get involved. We've got to make these things happen. If in Jesus God has begun to bring about his great renewal of all creation, then those of us who embrace Jesus in faith and love as a risen Lord, we must put that renewal to work among the poor. And so many of you are doing this. Our church is filled with people who are following the call of God into the hard places in our community. Mike Deaton becoming a chaplain so he can go into the jail. Those of you teaching in our schools, train them, Mike, train them, yes. Those of you teaching in our schools and working in the clinic for unwanted pregnancies and agencies that work with undocumented citizens, you are working in our courts and hospitals and places of therapy. You're working with handicapped children, and you do this. As you do it, you have the opportunity and the challenge of living with faith in Jesus Christ in a tense place. In that place, 
where the tragic is always present. Our broken world, it is poised on a precarious fulcrum. It wobbles between glory and grotesque, between beauty and brokenness, between grace and tragedy. And it is the saints among us who live out their faith at that hinge point. At that tottering hinge, because it's only by being close enough to see the world's pain that you can ever hope to see the face of God in the world. But because of the way we do this as a church, as a church, the way we engage is primarily through the church's organism, not the church's institution. The church always exists in two dimensions, as institution and organism. And it's through the church's organism, through the church scattered, through your jobs and your hobbies and sitting on boards and reaching out to your neighbors. This is the way and being a part of nonprofits. This is the way. People always ask me, what kind of mission does incarnation do? And I say, do you have time? Let me tell you about the ways the church of the incarnation is going into the most vulnerable places. We don't do this primarily as an institution. We do this primarily as an organism. We tell you, worship with us, be in a small group, find a way to pitch in, and then go for it. Go for it. And because we do it that way, we need to get better at communicating. We need to get better this year. Our goal this year is to form a missions task force who can begin to document all the ways people in our church are involved in the weak places of this city and put a document at the back table and regularly let you know so that when your station in life changes and you've got margin that you can find a way to come alongside the vulnerable in ways you aren't now, you can quickly find, oh, Gil, he's on the board for Habitat. Oh, oh, Macy, she works with adult disabled people. Katrina works in the jails. We've got to get better at this. We've got to get better. We also this year are going to produce a process for how when you're involved in the weak places, you can apply for grants, you can apply for funding through our missions budget. We've got to get better at making this stuff up in the front and foregrounded without taking it on institutionally. As an institution, our job is to lead you to worship God and be discipled and to nurture you and your witness in the world. Number three, in the year and years ahead, we've got to work on discipling older adults in the context of their vocation. Our fellows program is continuing to grow with the addition this year of Mike Medley helping us administratively. We have taken a significant step forward. Our fellows program is a remarkable initiative focused on the on vocational and spiritual formation for those who've recently graduated college or grad school. But we have to extend this kind of discipleship so that those of you who are five years, 10 years, 20, 30 years into your career, you can have more opportunities to deeply integrate the Christian faith into your vocation. And so some folks in our church have begun to explore how can we provide the theological, spiritual, and relational foundations required for this kind of meaningful and sustainable integration of faith and work for businessmen and homemakers and programmers, professors and lawyers, doctors and mental health care workers, artists and engineers, teachers, and those of you who are working in business and finance. Our artists are leading the way. They're showing us how to form a guild so that you support one another to better work for the flourishing of the cities. But we need our lawyers to do that. 
We need our professors to do that. And we need to help you do that. Like Jeremiah 29, 7 tells us, we are here for God's glory and the good of our particular city. And it's by integrating our faith and our particular careers that we can concretely invest in the shalom and prosperity of this city and the peace and the flourishing of the people who live here. Number four, another thing that we've got to work on in this year and the years ahead is what we're going to do with the lack of space on Sunday morning. We're growing faster than we can plant churches. So what do we do? We're once again at a place where there are Sundays that people show up and can't find a seat. This is the second time we've been here. This is a tough nut to crack. But let me say, first of all, thank you to the parish council. These men and women have worked very hard. If you're on the parish council, you wear a hat. Sheldon's the treasurer hat. Gil is the building hat. Barbara's the secretary hat. Bob Brown, the missions. Mike, the the rector's warden. Leanne, the people's warden. Everybody's got a hat. But in addition to the assigned roles and routine duties, the parish council has increasingly become an exploratory group. And a primary area of exploration is how are we going to respond to the number of people coming to incarnation without losing who we are? We're out of room. And this is something that the parish council has been and will keep exploring. And we're trying to discern what God is telling us. And we can't clearly see the way forward. But it's something we have to deal with in the coming year. Number five. In the coming year and years, we're going to plant churches. We're going to continue to raise up leaders. But we've got to figure out how to do it in a sustainable fashion. The last time we planted a church, it nearly crushed me. Finally, a year ago, I went to the parish council and said, I need a a serious break. I can't carry this anymore. The the way we've done it, the system won't work again. And we've got to figure that out. And, and so the parish council and others in our church were praying and talking and thinking and exploring how can we keep doing this but in a way that's sustainable and life-giving. Who we are, where we've come from, where we are, where we're headed. Now, I want to close by asking what is your role? Really telling, asking, that's just kind of a polite version. So like I said at the beginning, I'm going to invite you to renew your commitment to our church. Don't let our church be merely a place where your spiritual needs are met. But would you commit yourself to our church as your local Christian family, warts and all, not just for what it does for you, but for the sake of this city? We need your wholehearted participation. Four ways. First, I encourage you to continue your commitment to faithful participation in Sunday worship. This is the single most important thing that you do in your entire life. Nothing in our lives is more important. No hobby, no no nothing. Sunday worship is a uniquely intense sight of the Spirit's transformative presence. Think of your Sunday morning corporate worship as the nuclear reactor at the center of your life. Everything else, Monday through Saturday, week in, week out, radiates from the worshiping life of the church. Now, we know that space is a problem. And if you don't arrive early, there are some Sundays where families have to split up. So let me encourage us all to do two things. Number one, 
welcome people around you. As Keith said this morning, we are very intentional about not having greeters. I feel like greeters at church is about as logical as hiring somebody to come to your house to greet people you invite to your house. You are the greeters. Welcome others. And look, if you're new, you got the easiest job at all because you can always play the card. Hey, I'm new here. I don't know if you've been here long or not. Some of us, we say that and we're like, well, we've been here for two years. We met twice. Welcome people. And listen, don't only welcome them. Invite them to your small group. Janelle and I in England, a, a foreign land, a land that we once have been at war with and might again if we have to. Um, where, where they don't know how to speak proper English. They've never used the word y'all. They can take any piece of meat and ruin it. We were living there for three years. And on our first Sunday in our church, this man sitting next to us leaned over to us and said, hey, are you new here? And we said, yeah. He said, are you in a small group? We said, no. He said, oh, you can come to ours. We said, well, we don't have a car because we didn't, we didn't have a car for three years. He said, oh, we'll pick you up. Well, we've got little kids. Oh, we'll let our son stay and watch your kids and we'll take you. We'll bring him, drop him off at your house and we'll bring you to small group and bring you back. And um, those are Spencer's godparents today. And immediately God sets the lonely in families. So look, here's what you do. You, you see somebody, you invite them, you welcome them, you ask them if they're in a small group, then you walk back to that table, and there's a little brochure, list all our small groups, and you tell them, you ask them, where do you live? Okay, here's the one closest to you. And then you walk across the room, and you find the leaders of that group, and you connect them. Not only do we need to welcome people, but let me also encourage you to obey Aslan. On Sunday mornings, will you please go further up and further in? Believe it or not, people who arrive late, sometimes they leave because they can't find a seat. And I know it's like sitting on an airplane. Who wants to move into the middle, right? Nobody wants to. And some of you have some very real and important reasons for sitting on the aisle. But we need more people to move up and in so that the empty seats are visible and accessible. That's the first thing I encourage you to do. Keep being faithful to Sunday morning worship together. Number two. I encourage you to renew your commitment to love one another. If you're a Republican, love the Democrats. If you're a Democrat, love the Republicans. If you've got children, love people without children. Love one another. People are gifts. Let's renew our commitment to one another and to those whom Jesus sends us. And let's each get out and find somebody else to come in and join this community. Number three, I, re- I encourage you to renew your commitment to the generous gift of time and talent and treasure. Number four, most importantly, I ask you to please renew your commitment to prayer, to focused, regular prayer, specifically for the people, the leaders, and the institutional health of our church. Pray for us that we would know how to guide the ship both for spiritual vitality and also for long-term institutional stability. The only way a movement goes past the charismatic group that started it is as it institutionalizes. And that's the season we're in. We've got to figure out how to do those things. So we're the church of the incarnation. Uh, We are a church that was born in suffering. 
and born in hope. We were born in weakness and risk-taking faith, and it is bearing much fruit. Let's renew our resolve to worship the Lord Christ together, to love one another, to generously give our time and talents and finances, and to pray that God will take all of these little loaves and fishes into his hands. And then we'll do that Easter work with it that converts it into the bread of life for a city and a region that needs the bread of life. Let's pray.